Hello and welcome to FuturePod. I'm Mindy Yuri. The Futures and Foresight community comprises a remarkable and diverse group of individuals who span academic, commercial and social interests. At FuturePod, we seek to honour and to learn from the wisdom of those who have established and developed our field, to connect and support the practice of those who work in this space, and most importantly, to give pathways and inspiration to those who wish to join us in creating humane and better futures for ourselves and those who come after us. Today our guest is someone who has held a string of successful roles in areas of finance, management and executive leadership and who is forging a path which integrates these fields with innovation, change management, design and futures thinking. Simon Dean is currently a shareholder and executive manager in a mortgage franchisee business with over 120 mortgage brokers in Australia. Although he is passionate about his work, his other passion is making sense of change and using his skills to help people via workshops and keynote presentations to consider, reflect and explore the many norms that we accept, often unconsciously. An area that he is now exploring is introducing foresight thinking into secondary schools. The goal here is to expose students to learning to think longer term and explore current trends and their many possible outcomes. His vision is for students to learn new tools so they may better challenge our current reality. Welcome to FuturePod, Simon. Thank you, Mindy. Thank you. So if we could start by um, hearing a little bit about your story. So the first question is really about how did you get into the field of futures? Uh, Well, I probably fell into it. Um, So I happened to go back to Swinburne University as a mature age student and did um, initially looked at doing a master's in business administration and decided that looked a bit boring and... um, ended up completing the Masters in Entrepreneurship and Innovation. And one of the units at the end of that uh, course was um, strategic thinking um, that Peter had put into to the program and um, thought that really confused me compared to all the other business type units that um, I'd done. So um, after completing the course, I spoke to a few of the, uh, the lecturers, Peter being one of them, and Peter Hayward being one of them, and... Uh, I was still keen to keep studying, and uh, so next year I basically found myself doing the Masters in Strategic Foresight, and um, and that was really when I sort of <laughs> realised I don't know much at all. So the, you know, the business course that I did was pretty natural. I'd been in that field for most of my career, so it was really just applying a lot of the knowledge I already had, but uh, no one had exposed me to uh, trying to make sense of the reality that um, we just adopt uh, and accept unconsciously. So you were really challenged with some different sort of thinking at that early Oh, it'd be fair to say I was on a steep learning curve and probably still am, you know. It's one thing to say that you understand what you've studied and your thinking futures, but to unpack um, the institutions that drive our norms, um, our, our assumptions, our beliefs, the values that we operate on and or in, and, and how to sort of step out of that and try and look at that from a you know a distance I suppose to see well is that where we want us to be 
So, you know, that you get caught up in the day-to-day stuff and you're dealing with people um, in business and in society that don't even think about that. And that's not to put them down in any way. It's just that that's just they're just not trained. And I suppose, for me, the, the course that I did, um, it opened a, a crack, I suppose, and I'm still trying to make sense of it all. And I think it's a lifelong journey. Can you also speak um, a little bit about who were your who were the first people who were inspiring to you and whose whose work was really interesting to you in that early stage? Oh, look, obviously, um, Joe Voros and Peter Haywood were the lecturers, and they were the, probably the two people I knew the, the most. But we got exposed to many people: Claire Graves from the Spiral Dynamics, Ken Wilber from you know Integral Theory. So there's lots of methodologies that we we got taught and. Um, as a result, I've done some more work with the spiral dynamics um, side of things, understanding the, the paradigms around that, and still doing a little bit of work with um, Natasha in that space. So I, I don't think there's anyone that I sort of think is my mentor. It's just I think there's so many wonderful people in this field and trying to learn how they, their particular models have been applied to be able to try and make sense and use that to, to be critical in in terms of where we want to be and what, what's actually happening. And at the same time as you were studying, you were also working. So yeah. we, <laughs> were you trying to, you know, apply some of this new thinking to your work practice at that time? Uh, yeah, look, I think that was the end. Well, that's, that's certainly something I've always tried to do. Um, I think it, for me, at least, not until after I completed the course that I've really started to, to really appreciate and understand some of the, the theory that was really being taught and I, I'm a slow learner and I've, I've just persisted. So one of the reasons why I've continued to study and I'm now doing a master's in design strategy and innovation is to keep applying some of those tools and to keep practicing those tools. Um, and just, you know, I, I, I'm constantly reading, constantly trying to understand how people are applying all those methods that we've learnt into practice and to actually make it um, real and um so to answer your question uh, you know one of the things that i spend a lot of time actually making some money out of is um immunity to change by robert keegan and lisa Leahy. so i think in my studies that was probably one of my worst assignments and i was quite determined to really unpack that and obviously it's not that hard once you sort of understand how it works but i've done a lot of workshops helping people understand um, their assumptions and what's holding them back and to actually unpack unpack those sort of um, challenges that they have to achieving their goals. So I, I apply that a lot, um, just using different scenarios to help people understand that we can't predict the future, but we need to be thinking about the different types of futures that could occur based on potential trends and um, critical uncertainties that uh, are coming to us in many ways and to, to consider alternative futures other than just the business as usual, which is what most businesses sort of apply. So you were bringing some of these new ideas into your work in parallel with taking up opportunities to present or speak as a keynote speaker and in workshops. Was one one of these approaches sort of supporting the other one or were they equally calling you? Oh, no, I think um, one was definitely supporting the other and the, the finance role that I have allows me to support my family but at the same time I was also promoting my business called Conscious Futures 
Um, and in the industries I worked in, they have lots of professional development days, workshops, what have you. So I've been leveraging those and so using um, either um, immunity to change, which is sort of a, it's not too far out there for people to grasp and to uh, help them with business planning. So I use the system approach of understanding the structures that they need to put in place to, to achieve a business plan, but also to understand the, the soft, softer skill side. Wilbur Talk, the left a lower left side um, to understand the norms and values and their assumptions and help them unpack that as well. So I imagine the craft of using and developing a practice in futures is you need to be sensitive to what people can understand and what they're willing to accept, right? Yeah, look, and one of my biggest mistakes was um, using the lingo, I suppose, the language that we'd, um, we're so familiar with and people would just, just not get it. And rightly so. And so you basically had to, it's sort of interwoven into business talk from my perspective. So people, you know, at least listen to you and, and hopefully if you want the gig, you get the, uh, the opportunity to, to do the presentation or the workshop. I have found the best leading for me has been doing lots of uh, keynote presentations. And from that, I've got workshops that have allowed me to explore that with participants in those companies right how do you get gigs gigs <laughs> well I, I believe it or not I was actually just doing some um google advertising that worked reasonably well and also i, I just prepared an electronic direct mail sent it out to various business owners that i knew and said look this is what i do because i know that there is always a demand for something interesting and different and so basically just my, my network of people using LinkedIn as well. And, and arguably I could probably use Facebook as well, but I haven't done that. And the balance of the work that I do pays most of my salary or my income. Uh, but I, I would prefer to spend more of my time with Conscious Futures because I'm very passionate about that. And it, I'm just hoping that evolves. But another part of me, as, you'll, as we might talk about later, is is the work around the education space with secondary school students as my kids move through that base and uh, to help them learn some tools to be critical. So a lot of that would be pro bono and just doing it because I want to add value to um, the system. So, Can you tell us a little bit about some of the tools that you mostly use? So I'm interested in both aspects of your yeah. work. So yeah. the, you know, the, the mainstream stuff. Yeah what's most applicable and useful there yeah. and, and what you use in Conscious sure. Futures work? So a lot of it can be applied to business, feedback loops, systems thinking, really easy to help people understand that it's not a linear process, that certain things that we do will have feedback, will have outcomes that we don't anticipate and that allows us to consider alternatives, which in some ways is creating different scenarios. Um, so that's quite a I've found a, a straightforward leap for people to grasp. If I've given them um, the work and sort of said, look, this is some maps that I've done, um, will allows people to have their thinking made more transparent. So that's quite useful. Probably, you know, it's like anything, just because you own a hammer doesn't mean everything's a nail. But I, I love causal laid analysis. I love understanding, you know, the events, the patterns or the systems that we operate in, the worldviews. Um, or the structures that we've created, and then typically the, the mental models or myths, depending on which um, type of methodology you're using. But a lot of that really helps people 
um, achieve change. So when you're dealing with um, people and you're trying to get them to, to move to a, a new way of doing uh, doing something, you, you've got to have obviously the structure or the system in place, but you've also got to change the narrative in their mind. And that doesn't happen quickly, but if you can help them understand the narrative that they're usually operating on or in and to, to explore a different narrative, that um, I find is a really effective in setting visions. That, that's a journey though. So. Right. In a way, it's about challenging people to, to see how they perceive the yeah. world through what filters. And then they can, once people can see those filters and limitations in a way, you can open up some different ways of... Yeah, they, they probably don't, they probably see there's a, as a creativity tool or an innovation tool. Um, in terms of how they might, I'm making an assumption there, but based on the discussions I have with people after uh, either in my work or in the workshops, I've positioned it as a tool for creativity rather than a, a foresight tool. Or probably you could use the um, terminology of design thinking. So people seem to accept that a bit more willing than foresight because you um, can't predict the future. The other thing is understanding, um, you know, the paradigms or the their their lens that they're looking through their dominant lens depending on what uh, what environment we're in so at work you have a lot of people are dealing with you know if you think of spiral and you think of say the colors of orange and understanding how they they're motivated and they're driven and what's important to them be mindful of that and then you can use that to your not to manipulate but to be able to get your message across that they hear you and then people revert back to blue and, and again, understanding why they're doing that and then being able to craft a message that uh, allows them to hear what you want them to say, I think it's really important to get change happening as well. there any other tools that you use for that particular group of people work colleagues or the people you were engaged with especially in the financial industry yeah um there's one that i have for myself chris adjuris's work around the ladder of inference it's again it's a system tool but um making me conscious of how i leap to conclusions and being mindful of the ladder that i'm climbing and to actually just when i'm about to give an opinion and you know a bit of reflectivity here, but but to be conscious that you know what I'm about to say is usually based on my own values, my own beliefs, my own assumptions, and to take a step back and actually consider what I'm about to say. But also, again, if I consider you theory, you know, open mind, open heart, open will, what, have an open mind and to hear what the other person's saying rather than what I call what I think is said is that you start downloading what you're going to say before the person's even finished what they're saying to be and to be conscious of that. Mm. Um, Easy mm. to say, <laughs> especially when you're talking to your wife and you disagree. <laughs> right. These practices are important this in all sorts right. of fields, aren't That's they? That's like personal and professional. So, yeah. And I actually share that with my colleagues at work. You know, So from a, a developmental opportunity, we talk about both work um, tools and we talk about development tools. And, um, and I try and bring those sort of tools, not necessarily using those names, but to help them just consider what, um, their big assumptions are that they're taking for granted and to actually challenge their own thinking or their own conclusions before they judge um, and help people just be conscious of it. I right. think you know, it allows people to be a bit more critical um, and that's not to argue but to be critical in terms of their own reality. Can I ask you to then 
speak a little bit about the connection between that sort of work that you've been describing, having people focus on their their motivations and their deep beliefs. And... Yeah, sure. How does that relate to futures work? Good question. I suppose our future is being developed today based on those assumptions and those beliefs and those values. And is that a future that we're falling into because of those unconscious, um, unconscious thinking, which is the, the reason why I call my business Conscious Futures, to be conscious of the pathway that we're traveling. You know, as we know, we can't predict the future, but we can certainly consider alternative futures and in order to do that, we need to actually be mindful of how we're making those, how we're forming those, those futures or that framework, that mindset that we're thinking. Okay, so just continuing on, speaking about the future, what are you seeing? So maybe 10 years 30 years, whatever yeah. you like, really. Yeah. What do you see there? And what are some of the forces which are shaping the world that we're living in? You know what? That's probably the biggest thing that I have um, the most or the greatest challenge with in terms of talking to people because that's not the part I actually enjoy doing. It's it's that more the, the level of consciousness and making them aware of, of how they think. But, you know, there's certainly, you know, we're in a world that is constantly being disrupted. The internet has certainly given people access to so much knowledge. Um, never have we seen this in our society before. I think in the last 50 years, we've actually consumed more knowledge than the entire human race has in its existence, which is just an amazing time to be alive. But it's also a really scary time and um, a bit of an exciting time. You know, I look at my, my children and I've got an 11 year old girl and a nine-year-old boy and their their capacity to be able to deal with technology is just mind-blowing it's just second nature to them so you know the integration of of technology as part of the human body would not surprise me i think that we shouldn't underestimate how quickly our values can change in terms of how we what we think is important so we constantly look at technology as a as a driver of change and it certainly has been and potentially will be but how we make sense or what we consider as important can be critical as well. And you just look at, you know, the recent change with shopping bags and, you know, we've got all this dialogue happening about whether it's the right bag and whether we should do it or shouldn't do it. But, you know, I think people are starting to realise that we're probably talking about the wrong question in terms of it's our society's focus around waste and disposability and how we just just throw things away. And we're not actually, and shopping bags is just the service of that. So again, from a causal aid analysis, that's that's the event, and we're talking about the system, but we need to actually go deeper and actually unpack that. And so, you know, there's those sort of things, that, those trends that are bubbling underneath that could have major changes to the way society operates from a more sustainable perspective. You know, the other thing that I think we need to consider from a future perspective is you know, our bounded rationality, you know, we have nations, we have countries, and we're all doing our own thing for the benefit of of, of those uh, those countries and those nations, but we live on a finite planet that is running out of resources, um, and certainly I remember one of the responses I gave in my um, in one of my assignments was, oh, we can just go to the moon or another planet, but that's just perpetuating waste, so we need to be mindful that we live on a finite planet, so society will start to hopefully 
really appreciate um, the disadvantages if we don't deal with that. Otherwise, we're going to suffer, you know, from an archetypal perspective, the tragedy of the commons. We're all going to, we're all in this together. We're not off the planet yet, and hopefully we don't need to be, but we need to actually really start to understand that. And I think there's a lot of, let's not call it noise, but momentum that's on the fringe that I have a lot of hope that um, we'll see people really take hold of that and, and change the way we live. Certainly, you know, in terms of my talking to students, one of the key things I'm really wanting to impress upon them is our focus around short-termism rather than taking a longer view and the you know, focus around materialism and having money and capitalism and how can we reinvent that? And I, I see in my research, there's a lot more, minimal papers, a lot more discussion happening around, well, how can we change capitalism? It's here, but how can we make it work better for all of us? And I think through your work, you're developing conscious futures and, yeah. you've, and that's what you've called it. So mm. you've obviously identified for yourself what you think. You haven't described for me a future in 30 years' time, but you have described for me a choice that you made somewhere yeah. along the track that yeah. being conscious yeah. is what you think is most important. Is that yeah, well, to, yeah, to be aware of it and to, be, to not fall into a future that is undesirable. But, you know, there's, there's lots of risks. If you look at China, there's um, social credits in terms of if you do something that's deemed culturally not acceptable, then you get points awarded against you. And those sort of things are dangerous. You know, I understand how that can change behavior, but there's a lot um, of, of things that can be considered good that it can be easily can change the way we, our culture, our lives, our freedom um, are. And we should be careful not to take those things for granted. So being conscious of what's going on is really important. So that's really where with the students, I want to make sure they understand these risks and to give them tools to be able to challenge what's fed to them and to be able to um, make you know, a future that's more desirable or preferred. A question that's arising for me, Simon, is the differentiation between individual responsibility and, and the collective. I think you're speaking very much about the choices that you, you studied futures and what it came, came back to in the end, and I think it does for lots of people, is, okay, so what does that mean for me? How do I live my life? How do I make choices about my work? Mm. Can you also speak a little bit about uh, the collective? What do we do? in terms of creating a preferred future? What do we do in the collective? So my thinking around that is, if I look at, you know, if I use Wilbur Four Quadrants, first of all, you need to know yourself. So you need to understand how you think and what's important and what drives you and what your behaviours are. And then what behaviours, what can you do from an agency perspective that I can do to make a difference? And so I think one of the biggest fears that I probably still have is that you know, I'm just one drop in the in the pond or the ocean, and can you really make that difference? But, you know, from a, a business perspective, I can see the power of a vision. And if you can have a vision that people um, have helped create, that they've shared and developed um, and they're part of, that moves people. So I think it has to start with yourself. Then what actions can you as an individual put in place to, to, to harness the collective that they feel that they've created a, uh, a preferred future or a future or a goal that they want 
in business we call the BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal, so that they can aim for. So people will put away these differences when they've got a common goal and they take a, a, a high level view of it. In many ways, it's, it's understanding the system that you operate in. So, you know, if you think viable system model, but you actually take a bigger picture of um, they become part of the strategic direction of whatever that future you're trying to achieve is. And I think humanity can do that. You know, I, um, one of the things that I'm trying to do is to have my children see me continue to study. So I, my goal is, well, I expect to be studying for until I get put in a box. Um, so they can see that there's that constant life learning and to see how I'm applying it in in work and, and through my other areas of interest in conscious futures. So they can they can learn from that and, and then share that with other people and, and let that grow. That's what I'm hoping to achieve, I suppose. If you can create a vision that everyone's helped create uh, and they're passionate about, um, they may not agree all agree with everything, but they, they can get, get them on board. I've seen, you know, in, in, a, in the business world, amazing things. I've seen so much achieved in such a short time and people love doing it. It's incredible. If we can get our humanity doing that, amazing. <laughs> So you're pointing very much to the potential of organisations and businesses to have a powerful place in the creation of some sort of preferred future. Mm -hmm. Can you speak a little bit to the importance of an organisation's culture in that or the or the leadership, the people leading that organi those organisations? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, culture, uh, culture is strategy for breakfast. I think Drucker once said, sort of... Um, aware of a, a very large public listed company that had a change of leadership and as a result the culture changed dramatically and, and then as a result they lost direction and the the financial part of that business the share the share price dropped dramatically and it just re-emphasized to me that first of all from a leadership perspective having a strong vision that everyone was working towards is critical so if you apply that to all the other institutions that we have around the world you know they can do so much good but they can also do so much evil. So it's very dependent upon you know, the corporate governance of the board. It's also dependent upon society or governments ensuring that there's appropriate boundaries. But again, we're still playing in our current reality and, and the, the, the challenge and the opportunity from innovation and creativity is how do we flip that? How do we actually get out of the, the fish pond that we're all swimming in, that we're con unconscious of, and actually create a, 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 a different way of doing things? And that's... You know, where I, I sell creativity. How do you create? How do you get creativity? How do you get imagination? And um, that's where I use futures work by creating hope, common visions, and then using um, backcasting to sort of create a pathway from the future to the past to get to the future. Simon, this is a frequently asked question, and I'm sure you've answered it many times. What is foresight? How do you describe it briefly to somebody who asks? I change my mind all the time. You know, what is futures work? I think it's just about helping people understand that there isn't one future, that there are multiple futures, preferred, possible, probable, you know, black swans, that sort of thing. But um, it's up to us to, to consider how we're thinking today about tomorrow because that will determine what that future will be and so if we're not conscious of our assumptions and our beliefs and our values then that will create a future 
whether we want it or not, that could be good or desirable or un undesirable. So for me, it's about helping people realize that and then setting the vision that they're seeking. And it's not necessarily business related. It, it could be doing good, social good, that sort of thing. But I think the other thing it does is when you expose people to thinking about the future and longer term thinking, you know, big history, it, I think it has an impact on people. And, you know, if you consider spiral dynamics in terms of the level of consciousness, for me at least, um, I think it, it allows you to think differently and it helps you consider something that was maybe important before that was critical that you got upset about or frustrated with isn't so important anymore and allows you to step out of that and actually get comfortable with yourself and to not be worked up about the little things and to be more conscious of the big things. Easy to say when you've got, you know, you've got enough money coming in the door to, to cover the bills and put your kids through education and have a reasonable life. But, you know, to, to be conscious um, that, you know, there's, we're not here for a very long time and we shouldn't get too focused on the detail, although it's important, but, you know, from a intergenerational perspective, that's probably more important. And one of the reasons I did the Foresight program was because I've got two kids and I wanted to make sure that when I left, there was a better world. Simon, I'd like to ask you now about your plan to move into education. And I'd like to understand why that's important in, and how it fits into your work to date. Yeah, sure. So again, I'm doing a master's in design strategy and innovation, which is similar to the futures work that we did. And sure, I've got a, a business background and I'm talking to various corporate people about how to make their business better. But I thought that's not really changing society. I'm, I'm still operating in the same paradigm. And I've got two children who go to a, a school and, and I looked at what they taught and they teach history. And I thought, well, you can't actually touch and feel history. So why shouldn't we talk or teach and consider the future? Because that's where we're going. And we don't give them the tools to do that. So I, lo I like um, hanging out with kids. Um, I like captured audiences so they can't really get away. But I, I wanted to be able to um, have the opportunity to build a, a program that I could introduce to secondary school kids and to share some of the tools that um, we've learned at Swinburne and to help them, you know, when they do become adults, to think a little bit differently and to think critically. So, you know, if I look back at the course that we've done, I don't think it's about futures for me. It's more around to think critically, to, to unpack um, how we're, we're living and then to use that to, to go where we want it to be, which happens to be in the future. So I'm really excited about that. So I'm actually trying to, oh, I'm not trying, I've drafted a program um, around how, that, how I could use that. I'm about to go out and pitch it to the school my kids go to. And, and starting to understand the politics within the education system of how I can make that uh, sort of spread. And again, I'm not trying to make money out of this. this. is more of a pro bono sort of how can I add back and improve my school, but to be able to add additional an additional um, learning capacity to them and fit it within their current curriculum. So it's not actually a separate course or a separate unit. It's just something that might be involved in social studies or science or something like that. So it's more of a guest type role that hopefully I can get get people excited about that can grow. So it's obviously 
of benefit to have your own children to sort of practice on. (laughs) (laughs) Speak about some of these ideas with and see what sort of response you get, I guess. So are you thinking that you'll need to use a particular approach with children and is that going to be different with adults? Uh, Yeah, look, I think um, some of the work that many of the other uh, people out there who are doing futures are doing is games, using, you know, game type methodology to have fun, play and, and use that within a class type environment with the underlying theme of, you know, helping them or giving them some tools. So that's my thinking at the moment. I can't go in there and just teach theory. They'll just, um, I assume that they'll just walk out, but to actually make it fun. And and there's lots of work being done around that at the moment. Peter Bishop being one of them is trying to run a program around the world teaching futures in, in schools. So there's lots of people doing it and I'm trying to get a really good handle of what they're doing and to borrow some of those skills, acknowledge that it's their work, but to actually try and apply it and use my skill set to do that. I'm probably not the best researcher, I'm probably the best copier. (laughs) Simon, when you speak about the trajectory of your career, so you were quite an entrepreneur when you first met foresight i think <laughs> maybe um I, I don't really like the term entrepreneur um mm-hmm. it's more i wanted to understand how to commercialize an idea right. so i did the masters in entrepreneurship and innovation and um and, and i i went back to uni as um, as we were talking earlier to um to make sure that i could preach to my children that they they needed to get a university degree or some form of quali- qualification and so that was one of the, the reasons why I went back to university and I looked at the MBA and thought, I already know how to run a business. I wanted to know how to, how to identify an opportunity and, and build a business and maybe exit it. And I suppose from an entrepreneurial perspective, what I think those people are really good at, there's naturals who can identify trends or there's gaps in the market and have the courage. So it's one thing to say, yes, I can identify a trend, but to have the courage to, to fail and to do it multiple times until they are successful and you know i've seen people do some amazing things where they've actually started businesses and 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 sold them in fact um you know from a an amazing perspective my um, boss boss's younger brother just sold his business for over a billion dollars and for a toy he just bought a hundred million dollar yacht now i would have been once upon a time really excited about that but that i have no interest in that it's a it's like a comparing and you can never compare because you can never be better than anyone else. So I'm getting off the subject a little bit, but the purpose of was to be able to commoditize an idea and to be able to exit it. And so I sort of got some knowledge of that. I don't think I've got the courage to do that and put every all, all my cards on the table, so to speak, because um, I was probably a bit far in life. What I wanted to do was when I um, finished that master's in entrepreneurship was the thing that I felt that there was a gap was, was the innovation piece. Uh, and so that's when I started talking to the other lecturers and found that there was a foresight program. I thought, well, if you can predict the, or if you can anticipate the future, that, that will help come up with potential trends. Uh, so again, it was still a, a commercial focus. It was about making a profit, about making money. Uh, and that was the reasons why I started the foresight course, as well as hoping that my children would do more than I've done and I needed to get to a certain level. But whilst I was in the foresight program, uh, again, my values, I suppose, changed in the sense it wasn't, um, you know, from a spiral perspective, or, you know, orange colour. It wasn't about materialism. It was 
I suppose, and I hope it's it's evolving. Not to say I'm better than I was. I'm just more conscious of of my thinking around that, and it's no longer as as important. And from a personal perspective, it's it's made a big difference to me. So, you know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Brené Brown's work around shame research, and you know, she talks about how we have scarcity. You know, we can't we're constantly having never enough and and comparing, and that's the society for me that I grew up in, and and I was proud in terms of the the stuff that I've accumulated, but you know, after or during the the program doing foresight, you know, that started to unpack for me, and I thought this just doesn't work for me anymore, and it it was um, quite quite an emotional time. Like it it really had an impact on me at home, and you know, no longer do I try and compare myself to colleagues and think, well, you know, they've just done well, and congratulations to them, and it's it's made my life much more relaxed and more comfortable, and and more confident to be able to do what I want to do rather than what I think society or people expect me to do. So it's quite a, a, quite a life-changing exercise. Yeah, so, um, you know, and I hope to be able to pass on those those values or that thinking to, to my children. And I, and I do that with my work colleagues without them realising when they talk about certain things, I, I just pop up a question and ask them, why would you do it that way when you could do it this way? And just to get them, just to break the ice a little bit to help them just question how they do it. And, you know, if I can do that for the rest of my life, I'll be a happy person, I think. So just making a difference. Simon, it's been a great pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and thoughts with the FuturePod community. Mindy, thank you. And again, remembering all the things that I've learnt over the last five or six years uh, and being able to briefly share some of that with you has been, it's reminded me of um, what a wonderful opportunity we've all had and uh, look forward to continuing that journey. So thank you. This has been another production from FuturePod. FuturePod is a not-for-profit venture. We exist through the generosity of our supporters. If you would like to support FuturePod, go to the Patreon link on our website. Thank you for listening. Remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. This is Mendy Yuri saying goodbye for now.